0: you're never going to let me down the Lord said what do you not want me to let down so I started saying Lord I don't want you to let Hesperia down I don't want you to let my family down and I started he said put it in the contract and as I wrote it and the Lord said anything you bring up to me in praise I am going to sign and that is a contract holding and binding that I will come through for you and I thought God that's so good that's so good. So as we worship, it's not just music. God was saying, this is a contract. As you worship and glorify me, I'm saying, yes, everything you said about me, I'm going to do. It's a promise. It's not maybe I'll do it when I have time. God's like, sing it out to me in worship because you are making a binding contract with him. So praise God. God is good. Amy's got some good announcements, so come on up. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome. So in that second song, so it's just kind of something God was saying to me too, Um, I don't know how many times I've heard the song, sang the song, but like, you know, I actually heard it. Um, Just the beginning of the song where it says, you can't go back to the beginning, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. So I can't go back to what, none of us can go back to what happened yesterday, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but God's here today and he wants to meet with you wherever you're at. Um, whether you're in the valley or you're on the mountaintop. God wants to meet with you where you're at. So I felt like that was something God just wanted me to share. Um, Announcements. So we are going to be collecting coats. Um, We're doing a coat drive, so those can come to church and be brought into the Welcome Center um, starting anytime. So starting next Sunday, um, we are going to be collecting new coats for our community. So this is in place of the Backpack um, giveaway that we did the last few years we're going to do coats this year so we just see a need in the community for um, families that need those types of things so that is going to be what we're going to be doing okay um, go ahead and pass the buckets okay second Corinthians 812 says whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly, and give according to what you have, not to what you don't have. So God doesn't care. We have two pennies, $2 million, right? As long as we're giving according to what we have. Um, And it's coming from our hearts. Um, He works in us to create a margin so that we are not, you know, busting at the seams and not knowing where our next meal is going to come from but so I'm just inviting you to create a margin in your life um, so that you're comfortable but also God's working um, and God has that opportunity to take care of you and take care of this community. So Matt's got a word for us today. Welcome Matt.
1: Finally, somebody asked that. Thank you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm doing fine. I'm perfect. I'm doing good. Thanks, Kathy. Yeah, Jordan, I'm doing okay. All right, let's uh, let's pray and we'll get into this. Father, we just thank you for this day. we thank you for your word. Um, Lord, we thank you that we can open your word, get revelation from God to help change our lives, help us redirect. Our lives towards you, towards your will. All right. So, um, last time I spoke, I talked about marriage and suffering. Um, it wasn't those together, it was th- those separately. Um, so, yeah. Some of you thought that was funny. I thought it was funny. No, the rest of you didn't think it's funny, you just need to get a new sense of humor and you'll be okay. Um, all right, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter 4. We'll be sitting there for a while today. Um, I like the heading of what it said. We talked, we were in 1 Peter 3 last, uh, last time I spoke. But I love what it's talking about here. It says this, in 1 Peter 4, first, it says steward, excuse me, stewards of God's grace. That means we are people who, do you guys know what a steward is? Yeah, some, there's, there's. There's a phrase that you're a steward and then there's some people who are actually stewards. There, People who are stewards, that, that is their job. What are they, are they required to do? They're required to take, a lot of times this requires financial things. They are steward a um, financial thing or they are required to steward an estate to uh, make sure it prospers, make sure it continues on uh, we don't see it so much here in our country, but we see it over in Europe where they were a steward of an estate and they're placed in charge. They don't own it. They don't have any rights to it, but they're, enti- they're entitled to take care of it by the owner. And the owner says, you are required, and this is your job to steward my estate, to make sure that my 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 land, my buildings, the people that are on them um, are taken care of, that you are making sure that everything is going well, that the money that I give you to to invest is, being taken care of, that everything that I give you is taken care of. And we use the word steward mostly in what? Tithe. Well, be a good steward of your money. Well, there's a lot more to stewardship than what comes out of our pocketbook. There's, there's a, a huge difference in that. That's 10% of what God asks you to do is, is your finances. The rest, and a lot of it, he says, what are we? We're stewards of God's grace. So, Peter's saying we need to be good managers, good uh, caretakers of God's grace towards people. He says this, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, in this verse 1, since he suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions but for the will of God. He's saying when we die to ourself like Christ died in the flesh, he goes no longer are you going to cease or no longer are you going to continue to live in the flesh and desire the things of the flesh, but you will desire what the will of God is. And, and, and what people think is, oh, if I die to myself, if I die to the flesh, then I have to give up everything that's in this world. No, that's not how it works. It, it, there's Paul says, I'm what? Now, I'm not a slave to sin. I'm a slave to what? Three of you knew that. Okay, read your Bibles. Um, just kidding. <laughs> he says, I'm a slave to righteousness. That means he is bound to righteousness. That means he has to serve righteousness. That means he is entitled to be, um, he has to answer to righteousness. It doesn't mean, oh, I, well, he just tells me, God just tells me what to do when I do it. No, there's, a, there's a, an accountability to righteousness, how many of you go to work, never talk to your boss, don't show up and still get paid? Bradley does. Bradley still gets paid. Amy, you got to work on, you got to figure out that whole pay scheme that he's working on. Um, But think about it. If he's a slave to righteousness, that means he has to take account to that, to righteousness and say, what have I done for righteousness sake? What have I done to God? I, I am accountable to that the same way peter is saying we are stewards of god's grace we have to take care of god's grace it's not like it can't be taken god can't take care of it on his own but we're required to extend it to people and he says you're no longer going to live for the human passions but you will desire the will of god you ever had a moment where you're like i know i should do this and god wants me to do this but i don't want to do it i'm going to do this Everybody raise your hand. You've all done that. Everybody's done that. And you're like, I know I should do this. I know I shouldn't say this. I know I shouldn't do this thing, but I've done it anyway. Guess what? That's called sin. And what Peter is saying, he goes, when you die like Christ uh, died, when you give yourself up like Christ gave himself up, that selfish nature in you is going to have to go. Sometimes you have to beat it out. Sometimes you have to drive it out. Sometimes you have to kick it out, but it's going to go. And what happens is that the will of God starts to take hold in your life, and you're like, man, I really want to do this. There's moments in your life where you'll be like, yes, this is great. I'm doing this. And then God says, I want you to do this. And it's like something rises up inside of you and says, this is the will of God. This is what God is telling me to do. This is what he's asking me to do and something takes hold in you, and you're like, I want to do this. There was time, like Sarah and I, when we first started in ministry, it was like, oh, we're serving in ministry. And then one day we said, something rose up in us, and we're like, we're going to change this area. Something lit up in us. Some fire shot up in us and said, we're not going to live for what we want. We're not going to live for what everybody else wants. We're going to live for what God wants, and we're going to use his will We're going to do what God wants, and his will will be done in this area. What were we doing? We were stewarding God's will. We were stewarding God's grace to extend it to the people who needed to hear it. And when we we put away things that are, are human passions, and I will get into this in a second, the will of God can come through clear in our life what happens is we we tend to pick up all the baggage, and then we're like, God, I can't hear your will. What is going on in my life? And God's like, well, cut the crap, get rid of all the baggage, and then you can hear me. But we want to hear God's will for our life while we carry everything else with us. We want the, the weight of the world, the sin of the world. We want everything else on us. We want to live like the world, but then we want, oh, I want to hear the will of God for my life. Anybody ever read the book Pilgrim's Progress? Man, y'all need to read some more. Come on. I read that book. It's it was a great read. I loved reading that as a kid. But, you know what? If you read that book, you'll understand. You cannot carry that weight. You cannot carry the things of the world and the desires of the world and living like the world and go, "God, I want to serve your will." It has to be, there has to be a cutoff point where you drop those things and you start to extend and you start to let God's grace inside of you to remove the things so his will can flow through you. So think about this. It says, Christ suffered in the flesh. Matthew 26, 38 says this. And then Christ said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And We know what happens with that. The disciples can't stay awake for a couple hours. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he said this, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said, so you could not watch with me for more than an hour. Think about this. It says, in Peter, it says, Christ suffered in the flesh. It says, arm yourselves in the same way of thinking. Think about this. We have... A person who suffered for us. We have a representation of suffering. We can look at it and say, how did he suffer? We're going to have moments of suffering. It's a given as Christians. And, and living in, in, on earth, we will suffer. It might be from your own stupidity. It might be from persecution. It might be from sickness. It might be from whatever it is. But what's ha- going to happen is, is we will suffer. And Jesus suffered. He even in his humanness said, if you can take this from me, we, we always think of Jesus as this just perfect being floating around the, the, the cities and just, you know, peace be with you. It, there was humanness to Jesus. And he knew the, the weight that was going to be poured on him. He knew it was already starting to be released on him. But he knew the full weight was going to come on him. And he said, if it's possible, let this pass from me. Because he knew the, the weight of suffering. He knew the weight of what that was going to in, entail on him. But you know what? He said, but it's not what I want. It's not what I desire. It's what you desire. It's your purpose, your plan, your higher goal than what my goal is. And we have to start to think like that. It's not what my goal is. It's not what my will is. It's what your will is. And, in just, and to steward grace well to other people, we have to start to put away our will. What do I want? What do I need? We always really confuse needs and, and, um, and wants to what I desire. What we need is food, shelter, heat, air conditioning. Not really, but, you know, some of you will say air conditioning. Um, but there's certain needs that we have in our lives that we have to have in order to live. And then there's our desires and wants, like what do you want? When you ask a kid what you want for dinner, and they say, like, you know, cupcakes and ice cream, that usually doesn't work out. So you say, hey, I've got these two things. Which one do you want? I think that's how God is. We oh God, I want this. I want this. I want this. And God's like, I have these two things for you. What do you want? Which one do you want? He gives us two choices. He makes it easy for us to choose, but he's never going to give us a choice that causes any detriment to us. First Peter 3:18 says, "For Christ also suffered once for sins, the, righteousness of, the righteous upon the unrighteous, that we might bring us to God, that He might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, he was made, al- made alive in spirit. Think about this: what, Because of His death, we are made alive in our spirits. Everybody's like, well, if I don't, if I, if I don't accept Christ, the, the mentality is on earth is, if I don't accept Christ, I, I don't go to heaven. It's not about going to heaven. We always use heaven as the, the, the ultimate goal, and yes, we want to go to heaven, but if you don't accept Christ, it's not about the, the heaven part. It's the eternal separation, and I talked about this. That's, that's really hard to think about. That is really hard to think about, eternal separation from God. You ever had a moment where you feel like God is not near, or you just, you're struggling to hear, and you're just like, where are you, God? And he's like, I've been right here. You just got to tune in a little bit better, tune in and be able to figure out how I'm talking. That, that feeling that you have when you don't think God is, is listening or when God is able to respond to you, that's nothing compared to what this eternal separation is. The eternal separation is the Holy Spirit is not in presence with you. God is not, or you know, the Holy Spirit is not hovering over and around you and in you. God is not speaking to you. It is eternal separation. That is really hard to think about if you really start to, to dive into that. But because of his death, we're made alive in spirit. It's not about our flesh. Our flesh is a temporary thing. Our spirit is eternal. And what happens is, is when our spirit is made new, we now have the ability to, what, hear God. And I'm not saying you couldn't hear him before, but we have the ability now to hear God in such a way that is beyond measure. All right, where was I? Verse three it says, "For time in the past suffices for doing what the Gentiles did." I love how he says this. He says, "They were living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry." With respect to the this, they are surprised when you do not want to join them in their flood of debauchery, and they will malign you, but they will give a, excuse me, but they will give account to him who. Re, who's ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel is preached, even, though, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way, the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Peter says, he's like, you know what? Don't live like the Gentiles did. And what he, he's saying is, is this. He's like, look at the world. Look how they live. You want to do that? Look on Facebook. Look at all your friends who uh, have those good times on the weekends and then they can't make it up for work. Or they come down with the brown bottle flu on a, on, a, on a Thursday night and can't make it to work on a Friday. He's like, look at what they do. And I love how he says that. He goes, what the, the lifestyle they live, when they can't drag you into it, they're surprised that you won't join in it. Why are we, we're not surprised. We understand that. When you've come out of a life of that, you understand the difference between living and alive to Christ and dead to Christ. There's a difference to him. But they're gonna make fun of you. They're gonna gonna be like, oh, you're you this, you're that, you're churchy church, whatever you wanna call it, because you won't. Go out and live that lifestyle, but what they don't realize is there's always payment for something later. Sin looks good for a season, but the payment for it is even worse than the than what you can ever imagine. The world doesn't understand Christianity because they think, "Oh, I should live how I want to live, and then I can go to church on Sunday and just repent for what I want I, I did, and I can you know, oh, oh you know." I lived like hell on Monday through Friday, and then Saturday I kind of recovered for it, and then I went to church and repented for it. And then Monday through Thursday or Friday I lived like hell again, and then I recovered from it on Saturday, thought about going back into it on Saturday night, but I didn't because I needed to recover to come repent on Sunday. That's not a way to live. Peter says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore he goes, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. You know what sober-minded actually means? Doesn't mean your mind's not drunk. Doesn't mean that. Sober-minded actually means free from intoxicating influences. It basically means don't allow yourself to be captivated by any type of thought or influence that would lead you away from sound judgment. You ever met anybody that just cannot make a good decision? They just, no matter what they're doing, whether it's because of their own ignorance or because they're just, no one's ever told them the right thing, they cannot make a good decision. Anybody ever made a bad decision? Yes, we've all made bad decisions. But you ever met someone who just cannot get the... Yeah, every decision is bad, and you're just like, why do you keep making these choices? Because they don't know. They don't have the proper influence. They have not, like, it says take every thought captive. They, ca- they cannot take every thought captive. So they're just like, oh, it's okay, I'm just going to live this way. And they, they go from disaster to disaster. But it doesn't say that in the Bible. It doesn't say go from disaster to disaster. It, goes, it says to go from victory to victory. We're meant to live as victors, not, oh, well, this is just bad now, and I'm going to go from this bad situation to the next bad situation, and then when I make that next bad situation, I'll just feel even worse about the next bad situation. Peter's saying keep your head on straight. He says quit thinking about the thoughts that are, are there. Start thinking, like, as Christians, we should have the ability to make sound judgment. Why? Because we can look at the word of God and say, this is what dr- leads me. This is what guides me. This is what's going to help me make that decision. Peter's saying, keep your head on straight. Take every thought captive. We want to, well, you know, make a decision. Then we go back, and well, I should have thought about it. I should have really thought about it. I should have done this instead of this. And now I have to ask for forgiveness. And instead of taking the time and allow the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you, that's his job, right? So lead us and guide us. Instead of taking the time and allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us, we just make that snap decision. And they're like, why wasn't the Holy Spirit involved? Because you didn't invite him. If the Holy Spirit's not invited into your life, he will not force himself into your life. We need people to stop and say, okay, God, what are you saying? Holy Spirit, lead me in this. What are you telling me to do? But we have people that make snap decisions and we lead to destruction, lead to pain and suffering. But God's like, if you had listened for five seconds, it would have just been a resounding yes or a resounding no. This is how he leads us. But a lot of us don't are like two-year-olds. We don't want to hear the word no. We want to do what we want to do, ask for forgiveness later, and then be like, oh God, just lead me next time until I don't want to hear it. 2 Timothy 4, 5 says, Paul says this to Timothy, he says, But as for you, be clear-headed in every situation. Stay calm, cool, and steady. Endure every hardship without flinching. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill the duties of your ministry. Think about this. We're called to be stewards of God's grace. That means we have to keep our heads on straight. We can't be, oh, well I'm, I'm leaning here, and I'm leaning here, and I'm blowing around like every wind of doctrine that blows through. You're like, oh, I just believe whatever te- television evangelist says. Every, I watch one every hour, and I believe everything that he says, and then I believe everything that this one says, and then, then I buy my gold-encrusted crown and, and, and cross, and then I believe that, what that person says, and every wind of doctrine. Jesus isn't saying, or Paul wasn't saying, that it is okay for us to listen to every person that's on the TV preaching at us we have to start to think, okay, what are they preaching? What are they teaching? What is actually true? And what is leading me outside of the will of God? But he says, be clear-headed. Stay cool, stay calm. And that's the thing is, we are called to steward God's grace to other people. When we're out of control, when our minds are crazy and we can't get our stuff together— how are we supposed to be stewards of God's grace? If we can't take care, if we can't steward our own issues, our own life, how are we supposed to steward God's grace well? We don't. We're like, oh, God loves you, and then you run away. You know, you're like like an ADD kid looking for, you know, shiny objects and a squirrel, and you're like, God loves you, but you can't ever commit to being a steward. You just want to, oh, yeah, 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 and then you run away. I was nice to that person. That's stewarding God's grace. No, it's not stewarding God's grace. Being kind to a person is not stewarding God's grace. Being kind to a person is what we're called to do is be loving to people. But stewarding God's grace is how do I take what has been given to me and give it to other people and show them how to use it, how to walk in it, how to live in it. Think about this. A steward's job is what? To take care of what he's been given Think about this, we, uh, we talk about the, the parable of the, um, of the three servants. And Jesus is like, okay, well, they give one, boom, boom, boom. He gives one, a lot, one, and then one, barely anything. And the one that had barely anything could have at least put it in a bank. But the, but the master's like, you foolish servant, you didn't do anything with it. You took it and put it in a mason jar and buried it in the backyard and wondered why nothing came of it. He's like, well, at least I gave it back to you. No, he's like, what I give to you, you have to duplicate. At least get a return from it. At least get, do something with what I've given you. But we want to live and just, just skate by. And God's like, I need you to, to release what you've been given and duplicate what you've been given. Give to a point where it's more than what you've received. Show people how to live in God's grace, how to live in his kingdom, how to live in his world with grace and mercy. But we want to we wanna just, well, I, I loved people and that was it. No, loving people doesn't work without another point. And it has to be loving people and telling them about Jesus Christ. That's why we have so many issues with social justice and all that stuff today is because we have all these movements for social justice, but we have no Jesus involved in them. We're never going to get racial justice. We're never going to get all this stuff unless we bring Jesus into it. Until we have the gospel involved in all these movements, we're doing nothing. We're, We're giving them nice things and we're telling them this, but we're sending them to hell in a handbag without giving them the Word of God, without giving them an opportunity to meet Jesus. So you can be loving and kind to people. Oh, I'm just stewarding God's grace. No, stewarding God's grace is extending his grace to them. Telling them about Jesus. Telling them about who he is, his characteristics. That he loves them, that he doesn't want to be, spend an eternity away from them. But we want to, we want to kind of pussyfoot around the situation. Well, I was just being a really loving Christian and I just told him, you know, this and this, and and you can be loving, but stewarding God's grace means extending the gospel to them. What is God's grace? It is the gospel of Jesus. It is the gospel of salvation that is extended to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were sinners, Christ gave his life for us so we wouldn't have to. That's stewarding God's grace. That's extending God's grace to people. I like what verse 9 says. says this, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. If you're grumbling while you're doing hospitality, it's hospitality is definitely not your gift. So, each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another. As good steward of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks, excuse me, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one, who serves by the strength of God that God supplies in order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to him belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever amen see what happens is this is we want to become in the church we in the church we have a, a time where what happens is, is we want to become things. we see somebody up here you know what happens is is this is we in our society we have what do we have we have CEOs And everybody's like, oh, I want to be my own boss. Well, if you can't get out of bed on time, you're never going to be your own boss. And what happens is we have this mentality. everybody wants to be their own boss. Everybody wants to do their own thing. And I don't, I don't, that way I don't have to answer to anybody. Do you realize if you're your own boss, your customers are your boss? Whether you are your own private contractor or you work for somebody else, the customer is your boss. So when I go somewhere and con- I hire a private contractor to come in and work on something, guess what? I'm his boss because I can choose to pay him or not pay him if he does the work or doesn't do the work. But what happens is in our society, we see CEOs and, well, I want to be this. I want to be in charge. I want to be this. And I have to be the, the top dog. And what happens is we have it, the sin nature in this has a natural struggle for power to be... To, powerful over this person or powerful over this person. I remember I started working with this person a couple years ago, and the moment they came in, they were like trying to tell me what to do, and I'm like, mm. I'm like, that's not how your job works. I didn't have to say that to her. I just let some things go on, and then that person realized, oh, I'm not in charge of that person. Yeah, that's how it works. I didn't have to say anything. I just let it sit. I'm like, just see how y- you do with that. And, and after a while, it was like, oh, hey, could you possibly help me out with this instead of, I need you to come down and do this. I'm like, mm, that's not how it works. And that's not how it works with the kingdom. We don't get to be CEOs. God is in charge. He is the king. He gives us grace. He gives us the abilities. He gives us giftings. It says, the one who serves by the strength of God supplies in order that everything may be glorified through Jesus Christ. He gives each of us gifts. He gives each of us talents. And that's how we can extend the grace of God through the gifts that we have and the talents that we have to the people that are around us and that we can reach. But everybody wants, in that mentality, wants to be the, the, the top dog and I'm in charge of this and I'm in charge of this. I'm in charge of nothing at work and it's great. I don't have anybody under me and I don't have to say, hey, go do this. I get asked. I'm like, hey, this is great. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to be in charge of this person. I get asked, hey, what are you doing? Okay, this is what I'm doing. Oh, how's it working? It's working great. And then I respond to them. But people in our sin nature don't want to be required to answer that question to a people in authority. But Jesus is like, I've been in an authority. You answer to me. If you've given your life to me, if you've entered my kingdom, you are now accountable to me. But that's hard for people to do. Oh, I'm, just, I'm just not really a... You know, I'm more of a CEO type giving direction instead of taking direction. Waiting on a management position, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. There is no management position in the kingdom of God. It is Jesus and it is us who serve him and his kingdom. If you cannot be a servant, it's going to be hard to live in the kingdom of God. And that's where we have to ask God say, make me a servant. What, what was Jesus called? He was called what? The servant of all. And think about this. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. And for some reason, we've gotten that mixed up in the church, like I've come to be served and not serve. You know, it's like, no, we've done that in our culture is we've put people on pedestals and said, oh, this person's in charge of this. So we now have to cater to every whim and they only want green MMs and and sparkling water. And you know, it's like, When have we we started to make Christians celebrities? And we have to take the celebrity out of Christianity. Because we were meant to be servants of all. If Jesus says, I am the servant of all, I've come to serve and not be served. I think, didn't it say something about we have to follow in his, in the way that he's done things? So I think we need to learn how to serve. Not tooting my own horn, but about two months ago, I cleaned some poop off the wall in the bathroom. And I don't know whose it was, but it wasn't any of you guys. It was here when I got here. Um, was it fun? No. But did it need to be done? Yes. And that's the thing is, we have to start to look and say, you know what? It was the boys' bathroom, of course, you know. It's like, look, I was painting. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but we have to say, okay, I could have said, I could have waited till like nine o'clock and said, hey, somebody go do this. But it needed to be done. You have to think, Okay, it's not my job. I'm not the janitor. Well, guess what? In the kingdom of God, God there is no job titles. We are servants to the Most High God. And it, you know, it did kind of smell bad, and it was kind of gross. And I don't know if I remember washing my hands after I shook everybody's hand. No, I'm just kidding. You know, no, I did. I washed my hands. But we have to get in that mindset that I'm willing to do this for Jesus. And that's how I had to look at it. I'm like, I'm like, doing it for Jesus. I'm just doing it for Jesus. I'm like, because you know what? It's not a fun job. Amen. But we have to say, you know I'm willing to do the lowest yes. that he may be lifted up. Yes. Yeah, Lana probably said that I need to do that for Jesus too, but I'm not going to. Anyway, but we have to start to look and say, if there's a low job, I'm going to be willing to do it. What, what you guys don't, a lot of you guys don't realize is that when you guys come here and sit down, there is a lot that goes into this. There are people who get here at 8.30 or before every Sunday to move everything around, to, to push things out of the way, to clean things up. We never know when we're going to have to mop or sweep or move a hundred bazillion things, if that's a real term according to the government. Um, we don't know when we're going to have to do that. But it's the people who come early that are willing to serve. They're willing to come here at 8.30 and say, I'm willing to make coffee. I'm willing to move tables. I'm willing to clean the bathrooms, um, clean up the hallways, sweep, mop, whatever it is, to make sure that you guys can come in and have a seat. Because if you came in and saw what it looked like when we got here, you wouldn't like it. You'd be like, I don't want to sit in that. And so it's, it's not about what is good for me. It's about what benefits the kingdom. It's about serving people so that you can serve God. And I think we've spent so much time trying to propel ourselves in Christianity up to a platform where I have a platform. People will listen to me now. I don't really care if anybody listens to me after this day. I'm not worried about making a group of people follow me because it's not about following me. It's about following Jesus. The moment people start following you it starts to distract from Jesus. Oh, this person, you got to listen to this person. They're just so good. They're just this, this, this. Really, because all they're speaking is what Jesus and the Holy Spirit taught them or told them to speak. We give credit to man when credit should be given to God. We give credit to, to the worship leaders when they, we should be thinking, what are we worshiping? We should, are we worshiping the people on stage by looking at them, or are we worshiping the, the Most High God? We give credit to these people because they can do good things. And it's like, but that's a gift that God gave. And it says in his word that he gave them that gift to bring glory to him. But we're like, oh, look, they're just so good at that. No, it is God who is giving them that ability. It is God who gives them that ability to make them or to allow them, excuse me, to be able to do what they do. But we're just like, oh, they're just so good at this. And they're just so good at this. You know what? It's only Jesus. It is only Jesus and God who allow us to live in the way we live, to speak the way we speak. You ever met anybody who can really speak well? They can talk. But when it comes to actually conveying the word of God, they can't convey the word of God. I remember one time... um, I had somebody ask me, I want to speak, like, I don't remember how, this is like 10 years ago. they like, I want to speak, you know, a lot too. I'm like, well, if you can show up on time, let's start. If you can show up on time and set up chairs, you, start, you don't start at the top. You don't start by speaking every Sunday. You start by doing the stupid things, by like scraping the gum off the floor or off the chair and working with that. When you start to do that, that's when you can be used, and you see that God sees that you're faithful, he will promote you. We want man to promote us, excuse me, he can't speak, promote us, but God is the one who promotes. God is the one who gives us the ability and the stage or the platform to speak, and when we start to make our own platform, when we start to make our own stage, is when we start to fail. We have watched... For the last 10 years, ministry after ministry, church after church, pastor after pastor fail because why? Because they've created a platform where they are the sole focus. When you create a, a church where the sole focus is on one person speaking and no one else has the ability to speak into the, the body, speak into the, the community of believers, then you have a problem. Because what if that one person goes down the Kool-Aid road? What if that one person goes down the, the, I want to lead a cult on my own road and no one else has the ability to speak into the body and say, or speak into their life and say, man, that sounds a little weird to me. Or no one else can hear from God for the the body. But that one person, that doesn't sound like a, a body of believers. We, we've gotten away from that in, in some ways where the body of believers is, is to build each other up, but we come to hear one person build me up. Sound kind of weird to you? Sound a little different than what the Word of God says? Yes. What we've got to do is start to look and say, how do I serve so that Jesus is glorified? How do I serve and, and speak and clean and chairs, whatever it is, so Jesus is glorified. But we want to, hey, look, I set up all those chairs by myself. Well, good for you. Thank you for doing that. But it's not about us. It's about God being glorified in everything that we do. And that's why he says we have to be stewards of his grace. Stewards will do what it needs to do to make the, the, the estate, the, the, the grounds run. And when we steward well, when we steward God's gifts to us well, we can steward his grace to other people well. But we want to be, well, I'm just not going to do this. I want to go from, you know, just getting born again and not serving to uh, the evangelist and the lead of this in the, in the body. And then, well, and then you wonder why you struggle with things. We need, well, there's, there's levels of growth that have to happen in our lives In order for things to change, you can't go from being born again to, you know, leading in a month. Very, and I shouldn't say that probably because there's going to somebody prove me wrong on that. But um, what I'm saying is, is, this is, yeah. But God is going to give you levels of growth because he has to work on our character. By stewarding God's grace, it is, it is working on our character because there's moments where we're like, okay, how do I talk to this person about God? How do I talk to this person about the love of Jesus when they don't want to hear it? And God gives you ways to talk to them. He gives you opportunities to serve them. I think, and I know for a fact that if we're going to win people over, it's not about preaching the gospel at them. It's about serving them. Because when you serve them, you can, uh, they will be open to, to hearing the gospel. Yeah. But what happens is we want to preach to them and say, blah, 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 you're living wrong, you need to change, this is wrong, sin, separation, death, eternal damnation. And we talk about all these big things to them and they're like, you're crazy. But what happens is when we serve them and when we're kind to them and we s- extend grace to them, they're more willing to listen. But we just want to rush to it. We want to get everybody saved and get, get, on, get on the boat. And... It doesn't work that way. We have to, to there's levels of, of integrity, levels of character that w- will grow in us when we start to steward God's grace. And when and those levels grow, God's grace can go through us even greater. And so when you're looking and saying, how do I extend God's grace to people? First of all, be kind, be loving, be easy, uh, forgive them. That's the first and easiest way to do that. When someone says something mean, forgive them. When some, someone is, does something wrong to you, forgive them. When they speak bad to you, what does it say? A harsh response turns away wrath? No, it says a gentle or a soft response turns away wrath. That's the easiest way to, to extend God's grace to people. Is When they've wronged you, do something right for them. When they've c- done something wrong against you, extend forgiveness to them but we just want to tell them what's what and who's who and where they can go and why they offended us and why they're hurt. If, if, I'm sorry, as Christians, we shouldn't get offended. If you're offended easy, get over it. Um, we should not be offended by what is happening around us. We know what's happening around us. We can read what's happening around us. We read in his word that this is going to happen, but we get so offended by culture. It's like, get over it. You know they're going to do it. They know they're going to come up with every stinking way to pervert everything they possibly can don't get offended by it have an un, have a godly righteous anger and say i'm going to fight against this but don't be like oh, i'm so offended were you born yesterday so when god says extend my grace to people steward my grace to people you can't get offended by what they say well they, they called me uh, blah 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 and this and this I've been called worse than that by people I, I'm in my family. Not this, fa- this part, but I've been called worse than that by family. Get over it. What do you do? You just send grace to them. Oh, okay, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. You, you can go right back at them, but what do you do? You're not, you're not showing them the love of God and the grace of God and the, and the, and the kingdom of God to them. You're showing that I'm willing to fight you. So we have to be sober-minded. We we can't let those intoxicating thoughts come into our head because what happens is is this. They start to drag us away. They start to to lead us into, well, they said something bad about you. You should be mad at them and offended by them. Get over it. It's going to be okay. I mean, if you're mad at what a human says to you and offended by what a human says to you, how well do you know Jesus and how well do you know God? Because my question is, 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 if some random person can say something to you, whether it's family, friends, whatever, and you're so offended by it that you're devastated by it, who are you running to? Who are you putting your hope in? Who are you putting your, and again, don't, don't get me wrong, there's going to be things that happen in your life and people will say things to you that hurt you and, and cut you. But where are you running when those things happen? Why are we getting offended so badly when we can go to the one who took pain and suffering for us? and go and just fall into him and say, this is what's going on. I'm hurt by this. But you should know what's going to happen. It says, Jesus said, fathers and sons are going to hate each other. Mothers and daughters, they're going to hate each other. And it's not because they hate each other. It's because they're not, people are going to stand up for the word of God. They're going to stand up for living in his kingdom. And people are not going to understand that. And they're going to fight with you. And they're going to say things about you because you Choose to spend your Sundays going to church instead of sleeping in till noon because you had some fun until about 4 a.m. on a Saturday night. Well, you just go to church. Yes, I go to church. Get over it. I go to church. I've had to tell people, we go to church on Sunday. We're not coming to anything on noon on Sunday. That's how it works. We go to church. If you don't like it, schedule it for later. Otherwise, Go, do what you want to do. But we're not coming to things on a Sunday at noon. That's how it works. We don't skip church. We go to church as a family. If you don't like it, move along. But we have to set our standards. What are you willing to compromise in your life? Are you willing to compromise? Yeah, we'll, we'll skip church this Sunday because we have something at noon. Say, hey, we can't make it at noon. Can we do it at twelve thirty one o'clock? Oh, we've got to set for this. Oh, well, sorry, we'll be a little bit late. Have boldness to stand up and say, sorry, we can't make it. Or sorry, we're going to be a little bit late. But we're so afraid of offending people because we go to church. You need to get over that. You need to start having some gumption to not be afraid of what people are going to think about you because you go to church. If you're afraid of what their opinions are, Do you even care what God's opinion is? It says, Christ suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us back to God, being put to death in the flesh, that we may be alive in spirit. He's done a lot for us, more than we can ever repay. But what happens is, is we take for granted what he has done for us. We cheapen his grace. We, we, well, you know, it's okay if I do this and, you know, God will forgive me. You know, it's that sin now and ask for forgiveness later because we don't want to take responsibility for us. I think if we take the time to learn what God is saying and hear what God is saying, we will learn how to extend his grace to people. But what happens is we don't want to take that time. That quiet time with God is how He extends His grace to us. He teaches us through that. Those moments, those those still small little moments where you are alone with God and you have that time with Him, is how His grace gets transferred to you. Those moments where He says, Hey, you did this, but I still love you. I'm going to give you grace to go through this. When you know you have a situation going on, and instead of Running into that situation, take that five minutes with God and just say, God, right now, I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need your wisdom in my life. And take those maybe five minutes before you're going to go into something that might be intense and say, God, I need that grace right now. And as he extends you that grace to go through that situation and you can extend the grace that he's given to you to the people that are around you in that certain area. But it takes time. It takes a desire to do that. And so if we are truly dependent upon God, his grace is extended to us every morning. His mercies are made new to us. But what I think we need to do is just say, God, give me a moment today where I can extend your grace to people. Let me steward your grace well to the people around me. There's times where I'm on the phone and I don't want to steward his grace well. I'm like, I've told you this 400 times and the 400 first time is not going to work again. I'm going to have to tell you another 800 times. But I'm like, it's okay. We'll work through this. And so for me, that's extending God's grace to them because I'm like, I know I told you this 400 times, but you still don't get it. Um, but me saying, it's okay, yep. And I have people that call me, am like, I'm just so dumb. I'm like, you're not dumb. It's okay if you don't understand this. I'll help you with this. I have people that have that problem. And how do I do this? I extend them grace by saying, no, you're not dumb. No, you're not stupid because you don't understand this because some people are technical, some people are not technical. And they don't understand that. But you know what? I could say, yeah, you're really dumb for this. And here's how you do it and just do it. No, I just extend them grace and say, you know what? No, you're not dumb. You're not stupid. Let me show you how to do this again. And sometimes it works. And they don't call back for the 402nd time. And other times it's the 490th time. But it's just extending them grace and not allowing them to talk bad about themselves, call themselves dumb, call themselves stupid, call themselves, oh, I just, I don't understand this. No, you can understand this. Let me, let me show you how to understand this. Extend grace in every situation that you can. There's times where we don't. And we have to repent for it. Sometimes it's repenting to people and repenting to God. Sometimes it's just repenting to God. But, we have the ability to extend God's grace, to steward his grace well, so other people can see that he is loving, that he is kind. Let's pray.